Well, we're starting a new series. Starting this morning for our uh, morning sermons, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be uh, doing a textual sermon series drawn from that Gospel. I, uh, I love the Gospel of Luke for a whole bunch of different reasons. When, um, when our kids were little, we used to watch a lot of Sesame Street. And um, they had one game on there that I really liked. It was, uh, three of these things are the same. One of these things is not like the others. You remember that game? You know, they'd, they'd show you, you know, three houses and a car. And you were supposed to figure out which thing is not like the others. Every now and then I get a little irritated with that because they'd show you a, 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 an apple and a cherry and a fire truck and a banana. And I would go, okay, now wait a minute. Is it three fruit in a machine? Or is it three red things and a yellow thing? I don't know which is the... Uh, but in the entire Bible, how many writers are not Jewish? In the entire Bible, how many writers are not Jewish? And as far as we know, the answer to that is one. Luke, as far as we can tell, is the only writer in our Bible who is not Jewish. Now, as it happens, he ends up writing about 25% of the New Testament. If you take together all the words that are in the Gospel of Luke and all the words that are in the book of Acts, which he also wrote, that makes up about 25% of the words, 25% of the material that's in our New Testament. Uh, and so he is a very special person to us Christians. And, and he came to this late. He came to this, we know, probably out of the ministry of Paul, or at least very quickly became attached to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And he has obvious intellectual gifts. And as we read the, the Gospel of Luke, we'll see that he is, uh, his literary style is very beautiful, and he, and he loves certain particular facets of the story of Jesus and emphasizes those uh, in a special way, and we're going to focus on that. But like all the other gospel writers, he wants to tell you some really good news. Not just any good news, but specific good news about the fact that God is changing the world through Jesus Christ. And so I thought, since we're starting this, we would just start with his little prologue, which uh, Andrew read for us right at the beginning. Many have undertaken, I'm reading from the NIV here, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were first, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Luke says what you're about to read is an orderly account. It's not the only account. Other accounts have already been written. I don't claim to be an eyewitness. What I claim is that I know what I'm talking about. And Theophilus, I want you to know what you're talking about. 
And I like that. That actually kind of gets us started on the right foot. Luke's good news starts with the claim that he's going to talk about everything that's been fulfilled among us. His good news is that the promises of the Old Testament are finally being fulfilled in Jesus. I'm going to tell you about all the things that have been fulfilled among us by Jesus Christ. If you've got your Bibles, you can actually look over at the end of Luke. I've put it there on your study sheet. Luke 24, verses 44 through 47. Jesus appears. If you've got a different translation, you may want to read it in that. Luke 24, verses 44 through 47. This is the last appearance after the resurrection of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus says to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled which was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Incidentally, that three-part breakdown of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's actually a common way for the Jews to organize their scriptures. We will usually have five parts to the Old Testament when Christians talk about it. The Jews would have those three parts. Those were the three divisions. Everything that was written about him from beginning to end of the Bible has to all be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what was written. The Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. He says all of this is written before time. God laid all of this out. People may not have understood it, but it was there in the scriptures. And all of this is going to be fulfilled. We don't know all the scriptures that he had in mind. He says it's written aforetime that the the Messiah has to suffer. And we're not sure what he was thinking of. He may well have been thinking of Isaiah 53. Verse 5 says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. He says the Messiah must suffer and but the Messiah will rise from the dead. He may have been thinking of Isaiah 53 verse 10. It was the Lord's will to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his day. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Isaiah 53 really does seem to have both the death and the resurrection in mind. He will rise on the third day. We're not sure what prophecies Jesus has in mind there. One might be Hosea 6.2, Jesus standing for all of us. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name. He may be thinking about Isaiah 53, 11 as one of the possibilities. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. And that righteousness will be preached starting from Jerusalem. 
Isaiah 2, verses 2 and 3. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord will go out from Jerusalem. Luke is a Gentile, like you and me. We're all Gentiles too. And so maybe more than any of the other Gospels, we feel a connection to Luke because Luke knows what a wonderful thing it is that God's plan was bigger than just for Israel. He knows that God chose the nation of Israel and dealt specially with the nation of Israel. He knows that God crafted and molded the nation of Israel. And just like the name Israel suggests, he struggled, he wrestled with the nation of Israel. But it wasn't because Israel was to remain alone, God's people. It was so through the nation of Israel, God could reach out to the entire world. And Luke knows, and he wants us to know, that at last, that fulfillment has come through Jesus Christ. That what God has been planning all along, Israel's story that we've been reading going back hundreds of years, thousands of years in the Old Testament, has come to its completion in the story of Jesus Christ. He wants you to know that when you believe in Christianity, you, your belief rests on the entire foundation of the Bible, not just the, the story that he's telling you here in this gospel, but the entire foundation that we have in Old and New Testament. Luke's good news is that the promises of the Old Testament are finally being fulfilled in Jesus. Second claim that he makes is, he says, this gospel has been proclaimed to us by those who are eyewitnesses and the, and, and, and the first people to testify to it. The first evangelist. Luke learned the good news from eyewitnesses. That's kind of a big deal. Luke's not claiming himself to be an eyewitness. He's not claiming to be one of the original disciples. The original people chosen by Jesus to proclaim the gospel. But he says it kind of matters that the gospel is proclaimed by people who are eyewitnesses to it. And Luke claims that he's got information from the eyewitnesses. That's kind of a big deal to me because the gospel of Luke contains some unique material, several different places. Right at the start, it has a bunch of material about Mary and what happened to Mary and her unique experiences and her relatives' unique experiences. Zachariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. And the other Gospels don't have that material. How did Luke find out about that? Well, there are a couple of little places 
where we're told, you know, Mary had this experience. She, she, she saw these shepherds come in and they said, the angels found us when we were out with the sheep. And they said that this child had been born and he was the king of the Jews. And, and so we thought we would come and, and see him. And, and then Mary treasured this up in her heart. Who'd she tell it to? Looks like she told it to Luke. And, and when Jesus is about 12 years old, they all go to the temple and then Jesus stays behind talking to the teachers there in the temple courtyards and, and takes about three days for Joseph and Mary to realize they've left their child. And, and when they get back, Jesus is still there just having a good time discussing the law. And they don't beat him, which would have been my first inclination. Well, they say, why'd you treat us like this? And he says, well, you knew I had to be about my father's business, and this is my father's business. It doesn't say that Mary and Joseph understood what he said, but it does say Mary treasured that up in her heart. She stored that up. Who'd she tell that to? Well, it looks like she told it to Luke. And we assume that Luke went and talked to her, and we assume that Luke talked to Peter, and, and Luke may have talked to Matthew and, and John and some of the other eyewitnesses. It looks like that Luke did special investigations in order to be able to tell in an orderly manner the gospel that he's presenting to us. He wants you to know, he wants Theophilus, the lover of God, he wants us to be able to know the certainty of the things that we have been taught. He's investigated carefully, he says. Luke has investigated, carefully investigated, so he can put things in order. One of the characteristics of Luke is his historical accuracy. Luke 3, 1 and 2, he lists about six historical uh, dating elements. How come he didn't just say, this all happened... Uh, October the 16th, uh, 32 AD. How come he didn't do that? Well, because they didn't keep time that way. They didn't have that cool calendar that we all have, which is based on the birth of Jesus Christ. They kept time exactly the way Luke gives that to you. Well, when so-and-so was ruling, and when so-and-so was governor, and when such-and-such was high priest, and when so-and-so... That's the way that they dated anything. You can go back into the contemporary records, and you can see exactly that kind of, of record keeping. Why does that matter that Luke does this? It matters because he wants you to know, he wants his readers to know... This is not a fantasy world. I'm talking to you about events that took place in real history. Amen. This is not make-believe. These are real events. I love teaching the Bible, as you guys well know. And I love trying to get the Bible across to all ages. I love teaching the Bible to grown-ups. 
I love teaching the Bible to kids. One thing that I do not want to do when I teach the Bible is to give the impression that these are just stories. They are amazing stories. They make the best novels that our society has ever created pale in comparison. They make the best movie scripts that Hollywood can come up with look like amateur work. But they actually happened, these stories. They are real. And, and we do a disservice if we give the impression that these are merely stories. Luke wants you to understand this all took place in a real place at a real time. Real people went through exactly what I'm talking to you about. He doesn't want you as Christians to be in doubt about that. And all of that kind of feeds into the last claim. Luke wants Christians to be certain about what we have been taught. During, the period, during those resurrection appearances, he tells the story of Jesus appearing to the women, tells the story of Peter running out and looking at the grave. He tells the story of the appearance to uh, two people walking on the road to Emmaus. And at the end of that story, we read this. They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen, appeared to Simon. And when the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking he was a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Luke, from beginning to end, is telling you facts. He says he's writing to somebody named Theophilus. The word Theophilus just means lover of God. Maybe that's a real person. Maybe it's just you. Assuming you love God. Might as well be, because he's concerned not just for one person in the first century, he is concerned about you, and he is concerned that you know the certainty of the things you've been taught. If you're a Christian, you came to faith one way or another by somebody teaching you. Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your dad, maybe it was some Bible class teacher, maybe it was a co-worker, maybe it was a casual conversation, but you were taught... And you come into the faith not knowing as much as you would like to know, but, but enough to make that first step. And he says, I want you to make that faith that you started with more certain, lover of God. Because our faith is not just a story. Our faith is not just an emotional feeling in our hearts. It is those things, of course, but it's not just those things. Our faith is based on facts, Luke says. Amen. 
It is grounded in reality. And I want you to know the certainty of those things. He says, come and check it out. Just like Jesus. Here, touch, feel, investigate. What happens if you investigate an emotion? Get real analytical about it? You ever got yourself into a real good righteous rage and then got all analytic about it? It just spoils the fun, doesn't it? You know, if you think about it too much, you start realizing, well, I, I probably did contribute a little possibly to this problem. I might have actually said a couple of things that led to this. And that's just no fun. If you analyze, if you investigate an emotion, oftentimes it just... If your faith, if the Christian faith is just an emotional response then it would be a terrible thing for Luke to say, come and investigate it. Get closer. I want you to check it out. I want you to know more. You ever been in a movie with somebody who analyzes, you know, the, the plot holes while the movie's going on? Well, you know, in space, there's really no sound. So those spaceships, they wouldn't make that noise. And, and those laser beams, they would just be silent. You know? I'm trying to enjoy the story. You're ruining it for... Why are you doing... And that's true. I mean, if you... There are stories that if you pick them apart, you can no longer inhabit the story. If you get too close, the whole thing just kind of falls apart in tatters. And Luke says just the opposite. He says, this is not just a story. I mean, it's an amazing story, but it's not just a story... Get as close as you like. Come in. Touch. See. Investigate. Go check it out. Because this is fact. Luke doesn't just want to sell a book to you. He doesn't just want to have you have faith in your heart. He wants you to realize what he's realized. That in a world where everything seems rotten and everything seems disappointing once you look at it closely, here is one place where hope is real. I mean, it doesn't fix all of our problems. It's still a fallen world. But here is one place where hope is real, you can bank on it. You can put your weight down on the good news of Jesus Christ. Luke says, I've already done it. He says, you can do it too. You guys are here because you're, you're putting your weight down on Jesus Christ. Luke says, that's what you should do. And let me just say this this morning. If you're not sure about Jesus Christ, if you're on the fence, it's time to make a decision. Being on the fence about Jesus Christ, saying, well, maybe, is actually going to put you in the same position as someone who says, I hate Jesus. You don't get any partial credit here. I I hate to be blunt about it. 
Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. He says, if you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So here's the deal. If you are on the fence, it is time to make a decision. It is time to get serious about Jesus Christ. Or to walk away. It's time. So right now, on behalf of the Wilshire Church, I invite you to decide. You may decide sitting right where you are. Or you may decide and want to make it public right now. If you want to make a public claim, if you, I've never, if you say, I've never been baptized, I've never publicly become a Christian, and you want to do that right now, then come forward and tell us or talk to us privately. That's fine too. If you need prayers and you want to publicly ask for those prayers, come forward and tell us right now. If you want to talk to me or the elders privately afterwards, that's fine too. Get off the fence. Make the decision that you know you need to make. Let today be the day that your life is 100% on board with Jesus Christ. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?